you. About a month ago, I was meeting on Zoom with a group of ministers across the country whose congregations also use the Soul Matters monthly themes. We meet to share reflections, challenges, resources, inspirations that we can carry forth as we work to prepare worship in our individual congregations. The topic for that meeting was this month's theme, The Path of Delight. Reverend Scott Taylor, who is also team lead and founder of Soul Matters, began by saying that speaking of delight, he was delighted that following this particular meeting, he would begin enjoying an extended break from his Soul Matters work. He quickly added, recognizing that most of the parish ministers on the call would most likely not be able to take any vacation time for another couple months, he added, I recognize that our schedules differ and we are not all in the same emotional space. I'll try not to express my delight too strongly so that it doesn't dampen your spirits. Now, this was kind of a joke, right? He said it with a big smile and we all smiled and laughed in return. And yet, it made me wonder if there wasn't something to be explored in this exchange. It was so natural, so familiar, that it made me wonder how we are taught to express delight and how and when we are taught to hide delight. To get the joke, after all, one must accept the possibility that far from sharing Scott's delight in looking forward to some time off, the rest of us were resenting him this opportunity because the possibility for our time off was much further in the future. And the more he expressed delight, the worse we would feel. Further, the only way he could appropriately express his full delight in his situation would be if all of the rest of us were about to have some time off too on the same schedule, and in addition, that we all experienced the same amount of delight at the prospect. Otherwise, his expressions of delight could bring us down, dampen our spirits, make us feel bad. Now, it sounds silly, I know, but stay with me here because I think that we sometimes... I know that I sometimes hide expressions of delight for reasons very similar to what I have described. So it helps me to bring the logic or the illogic to light. To imagine that in order to appropriately express my full delight, I must be assured that everyone who is around me must be experiencing equivalent delight for the same reason is, of course, unrealistic at best. I can't imagine a group of people, I can't imagine any two people experiencing equivalent delight for the same reason at the same time. I can't imagine myself experiencing equivalent delight for the same reason over the span of two days or even two hours. Now, quite frankly, there are times when I read Mary Oliver's poems and think, oh, yes, 
She has captured that whole experience of being delighted in life. And there are other times when I read Mary Oliver's poetry and think, oh, please. Right? It's not pretty to confess, but sometimes I'm just not there. It's no fault to Oliver's poetry, of course, which is beautiful, regardless of my openness to it. It is only to say that I am not always open. And yet, even at those times, when I cannot feel it, I respect her ability to identify and articulate delight. Whatever we imagine delight to be, it comes when it comes. It is nearly impossible to trace or predict. Maybe it comes when we are ready. I think that there are ways we can prepare ourselves, but we can't make it happen. It depends so much on a complicated mixture a mixture of receptivity and proclivity and attention and circumstance and chance and who knows what. But we can't manufacture it, nor can we reliably supply it for someone else. This brings us to a problem on the flip side of hiding our delight, but one that operates under the same logic that everyone must feel an equal measure of delight. In this case, rather than hiding my delight for fear of making you feel bad, I fully express my delight and then pressure you into feeling as delighted as I do. No, really, look again. Isn't that delightful? No, no, really, look. I think I've been on both the giving and receiving end of this often uncomfortable exchange. I think it is helpful for us to recognize that we are always in different emotional spaces from one another. Always. This is not a rare occurrence. It is the way things are. The trick is to learn to communicate compassionately across those differences. I am very aware of this each Sunday with each service. Individuals are carrying things, metaphorical backpacks filled with the stuff of their individual lives and circumstances and reflections, carrying things that range across a whole spectrum of emotion as we gather each Sunday. We arrive out of many singular rooms, writes Kenneth Patton in our hymnal. Indeed, we do. And sometimes I worry. In our sensitivity to this truth, I worry that we may inadvertently flatten the communication of emotions, tamping down exclamations of deep delight, muting the tearful expressions of profound pain. Joy follows sorrow, follows concern, follows joy, follows announcement. 
just teasing. I'm just teasing. (laughs) But are we sometimes afraid to share with others because we don't want to bring them down with our sorrow or out of fear that we may exacerbate their sorrow with our joy? We arrive out of many singular rooms. We are in different emotional spaces. And I don't think the sensitive response to that is to stop communicating our experiences and emotions, but rather to communicate holding that explicit recognition and being honest about it and honest even about our awkwardness around that reality. When I have been in pain, When I have suffered sorrow and loss, I never resented someone who shared an experience of delight or joy. I did, however, resent it. Maybe that's too strong. I did, however, feel uneasy if it felt like they were needing me to share in that experience of delight or joy or if I felt like they were sharing this delight in hopes that if I could experience it too, it would make me feel better. I could feel delighted for them, for the fact that they were delighted, but I could not feel the same delight alongside them. I don't think it is wrong to share joy with people who are suffering. I think it is wrong to make them feel guilty if they can't feel that same joy. But witnessing the delight that people found in life was important. It gave me faith that delight still existed, that joy was there to be had, that I could very well experience these things again. And I know I've been talking a lot about how we express our experiences of delight. I fully realize that not all experiences of delight necessarily need to be expressed. Sometimes it is enough to have them and to hold them ourselves. And I want to say that the way many of us have been taught to stifle our expressions of delight also can threaten our experiences of delight. I don't want to share this joy for fear that it will make someone feel bad who is not in the same place. That can easily spill over into who am I to take such delight in life? To take such delight in, as Mary Oliver puts it, not only the exceptional, the very extravagant, but in the ordinary, the common, the very drab, the daily presentations. How can I be delighted in these common everyday things when there are people struggling for their very existence? And I want to say we must remind ourselves again and again that it is not our joy, not our delight that harms, that causes suffering, that brings pain. That is apathy. That is cynicism. That is greed. That is selfishness. That is fear. It is hatred. It is the illusion that we are solitary beings, the misperception that we are not connected. But it is not joy and delight that harms people. Joy and delight are part of resisting that which causes harm. One need only witness the pride gatherings.
I borrowed the title of this sermon from a passage in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus says in what has become known as the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, no one after lighting a lamp puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. No one lights a lamp and then hides it under a bushel basket. I think the same thing about delight. Rejecting or suppressing the experience of delight does not serve the world in any way. Dutifully choosing to be miserable does not lessen misery. Rather, welcoming delight into our lives, grateful when it comes, knowing we do not control its movements, welcoming delight supports our work for justice and inspires us to respond with compassion. As Unitarian Universalist theologian Sharon Welsh writes, the wellspring of decency is loving this life in which people die, people suffer, There are limits, and we make mistakes. The ground of challenging injustice is gratitude. The heartfelt desire to honor the wonder of that which is. To celebrate. To delight in the many gifts and joys of life. Finally, Susan Lara shared some reflections after last week's coffee with the minister when I asked a question about how delight related to joy that I want to share with you. She writes, delight seems to to me to often imply surprise. Thus, joy may be the result of delight. I noticed the backlighting of the mallow blossom that brought forth a view of its patterning that was unexpected. Delightful, she says. It seems like delight may be a participatory act. You are delighted because you open your mind and heart to something wonderful. May we all be willing participants in the experience of delight. And may we never feel that we need to hide it. Rather, let it shine forth.